0: If you are new, thanks for coming. This is only our second week, uh, so it's wonderful to have you here. It's exciting to see people show up, something that we've been uh, preparing so hard for, uh, a worship service, and I thought the worship team did a wonderful job, so thank you. Let me pray for us, and then we will begin. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the things that you teach us. Uh, Would you open our hearts so that we can hear exactly what you want to speak to us through your word. Would the Holy Spirit um, tell us exactly how you want us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're continuing our series called Welcome to Cornerstone. So it's a five-part series, five weeks. We're in the Gospel of Luke, and we're talking about our vision and our missions. You already heard me say our mission statement earlier, but today, the first two weeks, we're really focusing on our vision statement. And so we worked out a lot of statements as a new church, and my question today is, Okay, so we have these wonderful statements. Now, how do we grow? How do we start to become a a happy, healthy church? How do we get bigger? Just like we want our kids to grow up, how do we begin to grow up as a church? Uh, Well, most new churches, if you were to look at a bell curve of new churches, you would see their growth rate. So if this is the number of years, kind of the x-axis, and then the y-axis is the percentage of growth, you would see it starts out very high. Uh, that new churches tend to grow very quickly, but then, uh, you know, so the first couple years, perhaps the first year it's 10%, and then, uh, and then 8%, and then 6% year by year, and that's pretty pretty fast, a pretty high percentage as for, for any church, but then by the time you hit year 30, uh, churches tend to get smaller, uh, and they begin to stop growing, they kind of level out. And today I've brought a a, a graph that I want you to look at uh, that shows different churches across the board that are still either growing or shrinking. So this is some data from 2000 to 2010. And it summarizes uh, churches and denominations that are either growing or shrinking. And if a new church is going to grow, we want to keep that up. We want to keep growing. And here we see some churches that are still growing. Growing across the board. So, maybe some of you don't know what a denomination is. It's kind of a weird word. A denomination is a grouping of like minded churches. So, sometimes uh, these churches are governed the same way, they have uh, kind of a, a body like the Presbyterians that governs many different churches. Or perhaps it's more Baptist, where it's like a a self-governed church. Sometimes these denominations are legally bound together, and sometimes uh, different churches just affiliate with each other, like the congregational churches. So I saw this chart at a church planters conference, and the speaker, David T. Olson, explained why some of these churches are growing, some of these denominations. The Baptists are growing by 30%. The three sisters are growing by 26%, but some of these other churches are shrinking. Now, we are Cornerstone Congregational Church. Doesn't look too good for us. (laughs) Negative 25%. And actually, population growth was about 10% during this time period. So add another 10% on. Wow. Wow. So he explained, the speaker at this conference, he explained why he thought what is known as the Three Sisters are still growing. Now, the Three Sisters is not an official denomination. It is a Baptist General Conference, Converge. Some of you are going to know what these denominations are, and if you have no clue, it doesn't matter, don't worry. Uh, the Evangelical Covenant Church and the Evangelical Free Church. So these are three kind of denominations that are growing, that are the Three Sisters, And there's something interesting about them, because if you go back in history uh, to the 1920s, 1930s, there was a debate among churches. See, some churches said, what's the way to grow? Well, it's to preach the message of Jesus Christ, to talk about hope in Jesus, to talk, talk about sin to talk about Jesus. And there's other churches that said, no, it's better to grow a different way. We want to we grow by doing social justice. For speaking up for the poor, for the downtrodden, for widows. Using social programs. So this denomination over here, this, this kind of wing of the churches became known as the conservatives. And, and the one that cared more about social action became known as the liberals. And if there's anything that we know about conservatives and liberals, it's that they don't get along. And many of these churches, as you can see on the graph, they, they still either sway one way or the other towards talking about Jesus or towards doing good deeds for Jesus. And the special thing about the three sisters is that in the 1920s, these denominations were filled with Swedish people. In other words, they were speaking a different language. When everyone else was arguing about, you know, should we talk about Jesus or do good things for Jesus, they were just reading their Bibles and saying, well, the Bible says to do both. They didn't get pulled into the debate. And I think we can see the fruit A hundred years later, as this denomination is still growing, this kind of clumping. And that gets into our vision statement. See, our vision statement, kind of what we want to become, is a gospel centered church that changes lives through sharing the message of Jesus Christ in word, but also in deed. See, not only do we want to be a church that grows, that would be wonderful. But we want to be a church that is true to the Bible and true to the message of Jesus. That not only do we preach the good message of Jesus Christ, but we also back it up with good deeds, with gospel deeds. As I explained last week, our vision comes from Jesus' purpose for his ministry. So if you weren't here last week, you can go back, you can listen to the message. It's called Gospel Words. And you can learn that Jesus was all about proclaiming liberty to the captives, freedom for those bound by sin. But I believe there's another part to Jesus' ministry, and we see it in the Gospel of Luke, that not only did he preach good works, he did good deeds. I'm going to read Luke 4:38 through 39 again. I think it's important to read the Bible, and so we're going to read it. Verses 38 and 39, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. This first portion of our text tells us that Jesus cares for the physical needs of others. That Jesus cares for the physical well-being of people. Jesus cares for the needs of others. We see this in the scriptures. Now, Simon Peter, uh, we don't, this text doesn't say Peter, but it's Simon Peter. Uh, he was one of Jesus' disciples. And you've, maybe you've heard of uh, Peter without ever uh, knowing much about the Bible. Uh, a few interesting facts. He was married. He wasn't single house. Could he have a mother-in-law? And his mother-in-law became sick. Some other things that Peter is known for is denying Jesus three times. And then Jesus restored him after the crucifixion and resurrection. And then church tradition says that Peter went on to be crucified upside down for the name of Jesus. But here we see that Peter has Jesus over to his house and his mother-in-law is sick. Now, Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, was named Luke, and uh, there's some theories that he was highly educated just by his style of writing, but also that he was a doctor because of perhaps some medical terms. It's a fun thing to think about, but we don't really know. And if you were to look at this account, it says that she had a high fever. So notice in the text it says high fever instead of just a fever. If you look at Matthew and Mark, they just say she had a fever, And Luke points this out to show Jesus' power, because what does Jesus do? He bends over her, and he rebukes the fever, and it's gone. Instantaneously, this was a serious fever. This wasn't uh, just your ordinary, not feeling well today fever. Jesus rebukes it, and it's completely gone. Luke highlights that she got up at once to emphasize Jesus' absolute power, I don't know of any doctor that can bend over someone, rebuke their fever. and It's gone. It would be very popular. Jesus cares about the physical needs of others. He cares about the physical well-being of others. So how does Simon's mother-in-law respond? What, What does she do in response to Jesus that tells us how we should respond to Jesus and how he cares for us? Well, because Jesus cares for us, we should care for others. He rebukes the fever, she got up at once, and she begins to wait on them. That's amazing. She was sick, he heals her, she's completely better, she gets up and she begins to wait on them. Now, if you were to look at the word wait on them, if you were to look at it it in the original language, in the Greek, you would see that it could be translated, she began to minister to them. Or she began to wait on them at their table, wait tables for them. Now this word, I don't do this often, and I guess in our two weeks here, uh, but this word is the word diacono, which means to serve. And this is where we get the modern English word deacon. Now some of you may have heard of the t- word deacon, and it's actually a church office. Uh, here at Cornerstone, uh, we believe that we should be called, uh, that, that we're called to be elder led and deacon served. So we believe in the office of elder and in the office of deacon. Now, since you've probably never heard these words, you're, you're probably wondering well, what is it that they do? Well, an elder uh, takes care of the, the spiritual needs, the, the spiritual cares of the church teaching, discipling, shepherding. And deacons are called to serve, to kind of be the hands and feet, to, to wait the table. Now, we are not an independent church yet. We're a ministry of Emanuel Church in Chelmsford, and they have elders. Uh, but we hope that when we become autonomous, that we will get our own elders and we'll get our own deacons. Until that time, we our our kind of leadership team is the Church Plant Ministry team, the CPMT. If you come to the welcome uh, Q and A dinner afterwards, you'll learn more about them. I'm on that team, and then we also have trustees that will become future deacons. So here's the job description. One of the kind of the uh, introduction to what deacons do. Deacons are servants and leaders of ministries who support the work of the church and the vision and mission of the elders. Deacons are people who have a heart for service and care for others. Deacons allow elders to focus on spiritual leadership and church vision with the confidence that the needs of the congregation will be met. So at Cornerstone, our trustees are our deacons. They oversee buildings and grounds, finance, uh, and IT. But their most important task is this other area called direct care. Kind of this servant heart attitude, this this ministering to others, this waiting on tables with others. What what do we put under direct care? It's things like uh, you know if someone gets sick and they can't prepare a meal for themselves, somehow the trustees, uh, the deacons, when we have them, would would figure out how to get a meal to that person, or if we have widowed or orphaned people or foreigners in our midst, uh, that they would try to take care of their needs. It's really a a kind of a, a position that focuses on cornerstones needs, the needs inside the walls. And you can see this in Acts chapter 6, for those of you that know your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 3 where it's really explained what deacons are. And if you actually go to Acts chapter 6 and read that passage, it's the setting aside of Stephen and some other men to be deacons in the church. Right at the end of it, it says, well, they helped the church grow. So taking care of the needs of the church allowed uh, the Apostle Paul and some of the other elders, kind of church leaders, focus on prayer and preaching the word. And this allowed the church to grow. Now, we at Cornerstone care first for Cornerstone people. It's kind of an interesting statement. We care first for Cornerstone people, but we care deeply for Westford people. So not necessarily second, but deeply. Now, I want you to take a look back at the passage. So kind of look at the whole passage and step back from it a little bit. You're going to see when we we reread verses 40 through 41 that it's really showing Jesus caring for all people. But the first two verses, 38 and 39, show Jesus caring more for his people. Peter, Peter's mother-in-law. This is really uh, the people that would have been associated with Jesus and his community, following Jesus around, learning from him. Jesus would have had face-to-face interactions with these people. These were his people. And the second story is the masses. It's all the people here who hear, well, Jesus can heal someone, so I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to touch base with him. I'm going to see if he can heal me. But it's, it's kind of the wider community. Now, Matthew 10.42, we read this verse uh, earlier, but I just want to pick out a little bit in the verse. Matthew 10.42 says, And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water, to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you that that person will certainly not lose their reward. So it's good to serve the wider community, to serve the masses. But God says, God really honors Jesus, really honors us when we take special care of those in our church body, those who are His disciples. But remember. If you read through the New Testament, Jesus also fed the 4,000. He fed the 5,000. Jesus cares about more than just those around him. He cares about more than just the physical well-being of his own people. So my question is, well, why do we put maybe the cornerstone needs before the needs of the community? Well, it's because in order to love the community, in order to love Westford well, we need to love each other well first. You need to love each other first. It's kind of like, um, uh, you know, when I was growing up, you know, maybe I would be unkind to my parents. They're actually here today. I'd be unkind to my parents, then I'd go over to my friend's house and be really nice to them. Well, true love starts with being loving towards your family first, so that you can better love others. So at Cornerstone, we're trying to care for both. One of our values, we've been talking about values throughout the service. We actually have a series on our core values starting in November. You heard prayer, you heard Bible. One of our other values is outreach. We serve others and share the gospel, gospel words, gospel deeds. At Cornerstone, we're trying to serve our community and each other. So I want to go through uh, some of the ways that we've been trying to put this into practice. So you heard the deacons, the trustees, who are, who are really equipping, strengthening to serve the church. But what about some of the ways that we're trying to make an impact on the community? Uh, at July 4th, on, uh, there, was a, there was a fair at the Chelmsford Common, the July 4th Chelmsford Fair. And we set up a booth there where we we had, you know, Cornerstone. We were trying to hand out flyers, but then we also sold bottles of water. And we took the funds from, from selling those bottles of water, and we gave it to the Council on Aging here in Westford, because we want to make a positive impact on them. Now, we only sold about 75 water bottles, and if people had just taken the money that they spent on water bottles and given it to us, we probably would have donated more money, because I think we, we brought in like 750 water bottles. Uh, so if we had just given our money, we probably would have raised more. But this is our attempt to share that cup of cool water and then to impact the Council on Aging here in Westford. Westford. Uh, this past week, uh, we hosted in this building. We let Live for Live uh, kind of uh, set up and have some space here and do their board meeting. And I wasn't familiar with Live for Live, but they're a nonprofit that fights domestic abuse here in Westford, and that's really cool that we were able to house them in this building. I don't know, if, uh, you know, what our relationship will look like going forward. But I was so pleased because that that is really at the heart of Jesus, too. He wants to end things like domestic violence. Uh, There's an upcoming way that you can get involved and serve the community, and that's the Trunker Treat. On on October 31st, we're going to decorate some cars, get some candy, and try to make an impact and serve our community through just hosting a wonderful event here at the church. And maybe that's not big and glamorous, but it is a way that we're trying to kind of get gospel deeds out into the community, make an impact to serve our community. These aren't big accomplishments, but they're steps in the right direction. Ways that we're serving each other besides the deacons are the different teams. We have a connections team. We have a worship team. We have a children's team, Cornerstone Kids, that are downstairs. And these are all examples of ways that we're trying to serve each other here at Cornerstone. And my encouragement to you is if you want to be a part of this church, if you want to make Cornerstone your home church, is to be, become one of the, uh, join one of these teams. Uh, begin to serve. Jesus cares for the physical needs of others, but he also cares for something else. The next story shows us that Jesus cares for the whole person. Jesus cares for people's spiritual needs. Luke 4, uh, 4, verses 40 and 41. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you are the son of God but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the messiah jesus cares for the spiritual well-being of people now during the hot day jesus was with peter and his family he was healing peter's mother-in-law but at the evening time he goes out and he begins to minister to the crowds kind of that wider community And two words in this verse, in verse 40, tell us how Jesus went out and how Jesus ministered. The two words are one and hands. One and hands. They show us that Jesus ministered personally and individually to each person in that mass. So there's a huge crowd of people. And we get this image of Jesus going one at a time and laying his hands on one person at a time and praying for them, and healing them, and then moving on to the next, and showing individual care for each one. Now, we want to do the same thing here at Cornerstone. We want to care for Westford individually and personally and each other individually and personally. Now, when we were uh, kind of training, uh, there was a team uh, that was together in, uh, in July and August, and it kind of helped launch this church. We called it the core team. Uh, in August, we actually talked about how can we welcome new people well. And I shared the motto for the Ritz-Carlton. So the Ritz-Carlton is a very nice hotel uh, chain. It says, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. So if you go to one of those hotels, you'll be treated very well. And we want you to be treated really well when you come here as well. We want to be followers of Jesus Christ who treat each other as people that one day might know Jesus as well. Now why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus heal these people physically? Well, I think it's Jesus. Jesus wanted to uh, kind of take care of their physical needs so that they would consider their spiritual needs. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we want you to feel at home and feel comfortable so that you'll consider your spiritual need. Here in the story, Jesus casts out demons. Now, most of you probably don't have a demon, but you do have a different problem, and that's sin. We're all born with this problem. Sin is a desire to disobey God, to do life our way instead of God's way. And we hope that you will consider your need for forgiveness, for grace. Jesus cares for the spiritual well-being of people, and we want to do that here at Cornerstone as well. Now, notice that Jesus not only cares for people's spiritual well-being, but he cares for their well-being on his own terms. So, if you read the second half of the verse, uh, the demons are coming out of people... And they're trying to shout, you are the son of God. And Jesus says, no. He doesn't allow them to speak. Now, I imagine that if, if Jesus was throwing out demons, I mean, they're a spiritual being. To me, it seems like it would be a good idea for the demons to say, you are the son of God. That would kind of prove that Jesus is God to his audience. But Jesus, for some reason, says no. He silences these demons, these spiritual beings. Why does he do that? Jesus wants to reveal himself on his own terms. When they say son of God, that's a messianic term. So if you were Jewish in this time period in history, uh, you would know that son of God means Messiah, and any time you heard the word Messiah in that culture, well, your ears would start to ring and you would start to think all these different things that, oh, finally someone has come, a leader has come to free us from the Roman rulers, from our oppressive rulers. Let's have a revolt. Let's attack the Romans. And Jesus doesn't want the demons to reveal him because he wants to reveal a different type of Messiah. A different type of king, a king that comes serving, not a king that comes authoritarian-like and trying to overthrow the earthly powers. Jesus comes as a servant. He comes healing physically, spiritually, and he calls us to follow him in the same way. So how are we as Jesus people supposed to act as followers of Jesus Well, this is kind of the big idea of my message. Jesus people care for the needs of others. Jesus people care for the needs of others. Now, I just learned that Jesus People USA is like a kind of an interesting organization. I didn't know that. So maybe some of you are familiar with them from the 1970s coming out of the Jesus movement. I'm not saying that you are JPUSA. I'm just saying that if you are a follower of Christ, that you have invited Christ into your heart and you trust in him, that he calls you to serve the needs of others, to care for the needs of those around you. Jesus' people care for the needs of others. In order to do this well, we need to follow the example of Jesus. Watch what Jesus does in 42 and 43. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So what does Jesus do? He's just been, uh, the day before, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then the evening before, he went out and healed the masses. And instead of going out and trying to do that all again, the next morning, he runs away. He goes out to a solitary place, to a desert place, and says, I need to spend time with my God, with my Father, before I am filled up enough to serve the needs of others. And if you ever get tired of serving the needs of others, whether it's those around you, it's your family, it's the church body, or it's the community of Westford, follow the example of Jesus. Go to a solitary place. Go to a desert place and pray. Read the Bible. Be with your father. He needed to get away in order to do what God was calling him to do. And sometimes we need to do this as well. Now, when the crowds approach Jesus and say, We want to make you king, we kind of want to make you that Messiah, that political figure, Jesus says, No. I have a mission to go and preach the gospel to other towns, to other places. It's not all about you. That's what Jesus was saying to the community, to this mass. He was saying, It's not all about you. Jesus' people care for the needs of others. And we also are called to our other towns. I think if we were to kind of give a similar example, our town is kind of like this church body. It's inside the walls. If we're to say, well, we're just going to focus on ourselves and each other. That's our only focus. Well, then I think we should take this verse to heart that God has called us to other towns. I do think Westford is our other town. Littleton, Acton. That God is calling us to do ministry to serve others outside these walls. We're gonna start in our parking lot, not bad, but it's a good place. Trunk or treat. Now, notice in this passage, kind of the last interesting point about this passage. Uh, the author of Luke, Luke, uh, he he kind of parallels uh, Jesus saying, you know, I'm proclaiming the gospel. With what Jesus has just done, so Jesus heals a woman, and then he heals the masses, and then he casts out a demon, uh, demons, and then he says, "Oh, I've been preaching the gospel. I need to go and preach the gospel to other towns as well." And it's as if Jesus is saying that when I heal people, when I cast out demons, I am preaching the gospel. Now there's something unique about when Jesus does it because he's validating his authority. He's validating that he is indeed God. But I think you and I are called to a similar path. That when we go out and we serve our community and we serve each other within these walls, we should not look at it as something other than the gospel. Because it is painting a picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. Gospel just means good news And it's saying to each other and to Westford that we have been touched by a king who came as a servant. We need good words to explain the gospel, but we need good deeds to show its power. Jesus' people care for the needs of others. Now I want to close by asking a question By posing a thought. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to try to serve each other? Is it worth it to try to make an impact on our community? To not only talk about Jesus, but then to serve Jesus with our actions. Is it worth it? Because uh, there's one thing I know about churches. There's one thing I know about serving the community. That when you begin to do this sort of thing, life gets messy. It's not easy to love each other. It's not easy to love those outside our walls. It's hard. But the Bible gives us hope. Because the Bible promises that one day, our king, Christ Jesus, our servant king, will come and serve his servants. Luke 12, 37 says, "...it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes." Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Think about that for a moment. When you get discouraged with uh, serving your family, with loving the church, with loving those outside these walls, remember that Christ is the servant king. And one day he has promised to come and serve you. If you trust him, you follow after him. Jesus' people care for the needs of others. Our vision is to be a gospel-centered church. That means a good news-centered church that changes lives. We want to see people changed by Jesus Christ. We're going to do that by sharing the message of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. Jesus' people care for the needs of others. Let's pray. Father God, help us to put put your word into action, Lord. We know that we are saved by grace alone. That salvation is a gift to us. us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We also know that salvation requires a response. That good deeds go with good words, Lord. Would you strengthen and empower this church to make an impact on Westford with the gospel, gospel words and gospel deeds. Jesus, we love you. Amen.